The following message is by Pastor Brandon Dyer of Windsor Christian Fellowship. For more information on our church, visit www.windsorchristianfellowship.org. As I was researching and studying for uh, the sermon this week, I came across some information about the beginning of what we know as the Internet. And according to my reading, essentially the Internet began back in 1962 when an engineer basically, <clears throat> excuse me, an engineer figured out how to take a few computers and, and put them together and start uh, passing messages to and from these just several computers all the way back in 1962 is when this was happening. But little by little, more and more was being added and, and the network was getting a little bit bigger. They were figuring more and more things out. Up until 1971, about nine years later, when the Department of Defense was on was in on some of this new technology and then eventually they had a whopping 23 computers on a network. Our Department of Defense in 1971. 23 computers on a network. That's pretty good stuff. It's really less than the school over here right now. But in 1981, only 10 years later, IBM came out with a personal computer. Yeah, 1981, allowing computers really to, to, to become more of a part of the, the main part of people's houses where they were able to have these computers within their own home. So it wasn't something like a, a movie or some kind of weird like 50s creepy TV show where they had all the little computers and everything. It was actually real life now. They had computers within their own home. And then only eight or nine years after that, in 1989, there were 100,000 computers on the internet. In 1992, there were more than a million computers on the internet. In 1995, just about 20 years ago, the estimate was up to 30 million computers on the internet. And in 2000, there were 738 million internet users. And currently, there are about 3.2 billion people across the world who have access to what we know as the internet. During this sermon, your phone is going to buzz in your pocketbook or in your pocket, giving you some sort of notification from the internet. So don't open it when that happens. But we are all affected by this modern marvel. We are all affected in some way by the internet. We are totally inundated with it. The, the growth of it in just the last 50 years or so has been Tremendous. The truth is that the internet has, has changed and even transformed the way that we interact with one another. It, it's changed even the way we go about our daily lives for a lot of us. Um, but the kingdom or the, the internet here, I think there's a parallel here with the kingdom of God and the internet. Both of them, this is kind of a modern parable, if you will. The, in, the internet started small as the kingdom of God began small. But as the internet began to grow and to grow, the kingdom of God was growing and growing, and both of them have, have had this tremendous growth, and they've had this tremendous power, even in transformation, within all of our lives. So as time has elapsed, both of these, the, the internet or the kingdom, again, just that earthly comparison there, uh, have had incredible impact in all of our lives. And within this 
passage this morning. We're going to be seeing several more of these parables like we looked at last week. Remember, again, a parable, para, like parallel. This is a, a story, an earthly account of some kind, kind of like the internet, that lines up with a spiritual reality. And Jesus is going to bring up three more of these with the seed, the mustard seed, the leaven, and the weeds. In fact, in verses 34 and 35, we learn that Jesus, as he was preaching to these crowds, he was teaching them in nothing but parables. So at this point in his ministry, he is talking to them about nothing but speaking in a parabolic way, relating spiritual truths for those who had eyes to see and ears to hear, relating these spiritual truths with a, a physical story of, of again, 11, or like last week we looked at with the parable of the four. Soil. So in each of these parables, Jesus is going to illustrate the humble beginnings of the kingdom of God and how it grows and how it transforms and has this kind of power in all of our lives. Look at look at again verse 31 there in chapter 13 as we look at the parable of the mustard seed. He put another parable before them saying the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make its nest in its branches. So within these two parables, Jesus begins them all the same way. He says the kingdom of heaven is like. So again, it's a parable. The kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven could be compared to this. And in this first illustration, he compares the kingdom with a mustard seed. So this mustard seed is, is small, right? I don't know if anybody has seen a mustard seed, but if I had one in my fingers, you would not be able to see it. It is incredibly small. And Jesus says that a man goes out, a sower goes out, and he sows this little tiny seed. And after a period of time, this seed grows so much. It grows so much from just a little tiny seed that eventually it's a tree. It's a tree of 11 or 15 feet tall, and it's so strong that it can even have birds make their nest within it. But the key is, and I think the point of this little short parable, is growth. Jesus is emphasizing growth. That from a little tiny mustard seed, there could be a tremendous tree come forth from it, so strong that it is 15 feet tall, so strong that there can be birds that make their home within this tree. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It has great growth. The key here is Growth. And so like this mustard seed, the kingdom of God began incredibly small. But over time, as time continued to elapse, and with the care of the farmer, the kingdom of God would grow into an incredibly strong tree. So great growth from tiny beginnings. And then you have another short parable. Look at verse 33 with the parable of the leaven. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like the leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So whereas the, the parable of the mustard seed emphasized growth, I think the parable of the leaven emphasizes transformation. It emphasizes change within this flower. So the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like yeast. It's like this leaven that you put into some flour and it totally transforms the whole batch of flour. Some of you who cook, if you forget to put that yeast, if you bake bread, if you forget to put that yeast in that bread, I don't cook, but I do know that much. If you forget to put it in, what's going to happen? It's not going to rise, right? But when you put that yeast in, it's going to have that transformative effect and make the bread into what it should 
be. So again, the key to this parable is transformation. It's change. It'll take some time, but it is going to have its effect on the flower. So the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed with growth. It is like leaven with transformation within this uh, bread and flour. And this is the kind of effect that the kingdom of God has. It is powerful. It is permeating. But then we have what makes up the bulk of our text this morning in the parable of the weeds. And like the parable of the mustard seed, and like the parable of the leaven, or even like the parable we looked at last week, Jesus gives the parable, and then he explains it more in more, in more detail. So last week, when we looked at the parable of the soils, he told them uh, the simple parable, this earthly story, and then he told the disciples personally, he told them exactly what he meant by it. And so that's what he's going to do this morning. He tells them the parable of the weeds, and then he goes off a little later, when they go into a house later on, he explains to them exactly what he meant by the parable. But the parable was this. A sower goes out into his field, and he goes and he sows what is called good seed. And this is important because of what happens next. So he goes out and he begins sowing this good seed. But look at verse 25 at what happens next. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So the sower, he went out and he sowed that good seed. He had men that were watching over it and making sure everything was going well with the seed that he sowed. But while those men were sleeping, the enemy of the sower came and he began to sow bad seed. He began to sow seed that would potentially ruin the crop of this sower. And that's obviously a really big deal, right? I mean, not only is the sower, this farmer, battling the, the weather, right? He's, he's hoping for rain at times. He's hoping for sun at times. There's all these things going on in his mind. But he's not only dealing with that, he has to deal with an enemy. The enemy who came in and began, began sowing his own seed within his field. And so as the time progressed, of course, you don't know it as it hasn't germinated and grown yet. But as time progressed, the wheat and the weeds began to grow. And even at that time, you can't quite tell the difference between the two. But as time elapsed more and more, the men of this sower began to realize, hang on a second, there are not just, there's not just wheat growing here, there are weeds growing here as well. And so they go to their master and they ask him what kind of seed he planted. Didn't you sow the good stuff in this field? And of course the sower said, yes, but my enemy has come. And he has sown bad seed, which is why the weeds were all over the place. So this has to be the sower's worst nightmare, right? He's dealing with all of this. And now his field that he has gone and planted, what was likely his livelihood, has been possibly destroyed by these weeds that have been planted. So really, that's the parable of the weeds in a nutshell. But after Jesus is done for the day, again, he goes into a house and he begins to explain to his disciples exactly what he means by this parable of the weeds. And like the parable of the soils that we looked at last week, the sower that Jesus is referring to, this farmer that goes out and sows his seed, he is referring to himself. He says that the sower is the son of man. It is Christ himself who is going out into his field and sowing this seed. And he says that as the son of man, he has gone and he has left his home and gone out into the field and he has begun sowing the seed. But what is the field upon which he is sowing it? He says that it is the world. So Jesus has come, of course, from heaven. The son of man has come and he has 
began to spread his message throughout the world, and he calls the field here his, the, the world. But what is the seed that he is spreading? Last week, when we looked at the seed, it was specifically the message of the kingdom. It was the word of the kingdom. It was the gospel that he was spreading. But here he says, specifically, that the seed that he is spreading are actually the children of the kingdom. And so as he is doing this, he's gone out and he has sown his seed. And his enemy, who he refers to as the devil, comes along to his field and he begins sowing seed. He begins sowing the weeds that are eventually found within the field. And these are the children of the evil one, the text says. So simultaneously, within the world today, there are wheat and weeds growing alongside each other, right? This is your everyday life. When you go to work, you go to work with people who are either wheat or weeds. You have people in your family who are either wheat or weeds, right? This, this helps make sense even of the age that we currently live in. This helps make sense and helps us to understand the kind of world that we are in. That there are those who are wheat and then there are those who are weeds. So from really from the beginning of history with Adam, you have from his fall on those who were righteous and those who were not righteous. You have those who were believers and those who were not believers. Romans chapter 5, you have those who were in Christ or you have those who were in Adam. That has been the case throughout the entire course of human history. And so it is in our present age. So from Adam's fall until 2016, the world has been mixed. Right? There have been those who are weak and those who are weeds. And this is important, I think, for us to remember. We wake up in the morning and we think about this, that there are those who are distinct from us because they do not know the same Savior. They do not have the same Father. So we are not of the world, right? Like personally, we are not of the world. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. But really, we are not of the world, but we have been sent into the world, haven't we? We have been sent into the world by the sower, by Christ himself. But I think that there's some really good encouragement here as we consider the fact that there are wheat and weeds growing alongside each other. That despite Satan's efforts to destroy the field upon which Christ was sowing, there is still going to be the success of the sower. He is going to have his harvest. He is going to reap what he has desired to reap. So despite the devil's satanic efforts to pollute the field of the world, he certainly has done some of that, but Jesus is and will be successful despite what Satan does. And this gives us great confidence, I think, doesn't it? This gives give you confidence as you consider that no matter what Satan can do, he, he'll threaten to undo us, the, the hymn Almighty Fortune says, but he will not win. For God has willed his truth to triumph through us, it is Jesus Christ who is going to have his harvest. He is going to have his reward. And at times, I think that it can feel like the weeds are overtaking the world. Can it? I feel like evil is growing so much. And there's so much evil. And we wonder what in the world are our kids going to go through? What are our grandkids going to go through? All of this evil is growing and it seems like God's people, the wheat, are falling away and they're actually not 
at all, and we dwell on these things, and it's easy to get incredibly discouraged over what is going on in our, our nation or going on in our world, and we wonder why God is allowing all of this evil, and we ask along with the psalmist, why, the Lord, why do the heathen rage? Why do they prosper? Why do the wicked prosper? It's very easy to ask ourselves those things when it feels like the weeds are growing to, to, to great size. Let this parable raise your eyes to the truth. That the king will be successful despite Satan's efforts. That will be the case. He will have his harvest. So this is certainly a a mixed age where unbelievers and believers are, are, are together in the world. And when Christ comes, it will cease to be a mixed age. And the age that is to come... It will no longer be a mixed age. There will no longer be wheat and weeds together. In fact, at that time, at the harvest of the wheat and the weeds, they are going to be separated from one another. The wheat will be put into the sower's storehouses, and the weeds will be thrown into the furnace. Look again at verse 39. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age. And the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out his kingdom, all causes of sins and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine with the sun in the kingdom of their Father, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. So drawing parallel, the harvest time is the end of the age. The reapers are the angels, and they are going to go out, and what they are going to do is discern the weeds from the wheat. The wheat will be judged in the fiery furnace, and the, or the weeds will be judged in the fiery furnace, and the wheat will go on to a future state in the next kingdom, the next stage of the kingdom. So although the wheat and the weeds grow together within this field, they are separated from one another at the end of the age. The weeds are the the children of Satan and they will go on to hell. And the wheat, the children of God, they go on to the kingdom. I would think that as we consider hell, the doctrine of hell is really kind of the crazy uncle of our theology. That we admit that he's there. We, we believe in it as hell. But at the same time, we don't like to discuss it. He's there, but we don't like to think about it too much. It's there, but we don't want to deal with it. It's not something that we often like to talk about. But do you realize that in almost every instance where the Bible talks about hell, not every instance, but almost every instance that the Bible talks about hell, it's coming from the mouth of Jesus. So to deny the existence of hell is to deny the teaching of Christ. But there are other areas within God's word that speak of hell. Malachi 4 says, Surely the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and the evil, every evildoer will be stubble, and that day that is coming will set them on fire. In the New Testament, John 15, Jesus, If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withered. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. 
of course, in the book of Revelation, and he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. In Revelation, there's other points as well that speaks of hell. But turn over to First Thessalonians or Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter one. Verse 7 to 9 says this, grant you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So taking vengeance upon these people is what's going to happen. That God is going to take vengeance on people who do not know God as though they have personally offended him because they have. That everybody who does not believe in this gospel have offended God. Everybody who has broken any aspect of the law and has disobeyed the word of the Lord, they will take part in this vengeance. They will have the vengeance of God upon them. John 3 says that he who does not believe does not have life and that the wrath of God abides on him. So, those who do not believe in the Son will literally have the wrath of God abiding on them forever. And so, when Jesus was on the cross, we'd like to say that he died for our sins. And he certainly did die for our sins and he imputed his righteousness to us. He took our bad, he gave us his good. That absolutely occurred. But also, he took the wrath of God on our behalf. Of all of our sin that was laid upon Christ, Jesus bore all of that wrath when he was on the cross. But for those who do not obey and those who do not believe in the gospel, the wrath of God will abide on them forever in a place called hell. Romans 9.22 says that those who, do, who don't know Christ, they are vessels of wrath made for destruction. This is a place. This will happen. It's going to be a place, according to our parable this morning, this is a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's going to be a place of a lake of fire. It will be dark. It is going to be the place where that wrath of God is continually poured out on those who are unjust. So according to this parable, the wheat and the wheat, the, the, all of the weeds are going to be bundled together and they're going to be thrown into a furnace and they will not be annihilated. You and I, we take all the, maybe the grass clippings or the leaves that fall down, we put them in the fire. Eventually, they're annihilated, they're gone. But the people that go to hell, they will not be annihilated. They will, they will endure through this forever. They will bear the agony of hell forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. 
wrath of God is poured upon Christ for those who believe, but for those who do not believe like this week, the wrath of God is going to abide on them. My brothers and sisters, does that affect you? I'd like to reflect and I'd like to think upon the eternal destination of us. I'd like to think about what it's going to be like for Christians in that coming age with Jesus and we rule and reign with him and we have all these glorious terms and all these great passages that tell us what it's going to be like when we are with them. But we do not often think that simultaneously while we are rejoicing and praising and singing to God and working with him for all eternity in that next stage of the kingdom, that simultaneously there are going to be people in utter agony. We must follow the command of our king and tell the world about Jesus. How vivid is your doctrine of hell? Do you warn your friends and family of the impending doom? As you go and you share the gospel, do you smell hell? Charles Spurgeon once said, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned or ungrateful. The wheat will be gathered at the end of the age and they will be thrown into a furnace. Will we warn them? Will we tell them? Will we tell them what Christ has come to do? Will we tell them of the gospel knowing the truth that if they do not believe in the gospel, whether they believe hell exists or not, that whether when we tell them the gospel, do we have that sort of Fierceness in our eyes, knowing their eternal destination, knowing that the wrath of God is abiding on them. Do we go to them with that kind of a spirit and that kind of a love and that kind of direction that they know that whether they believe it or not, they know that we do believe it. Look at verse 42 and 43 again. Back in Matthew 13. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. At, at the great peak. And that's what we like to dwell on. We like to think about that. And that is the way it's going to be for us. That the righteous, not, not those who have made themselves righteous, not those who have pulled them up themselves up by their own bootstraps and made it happen and they were righteous in God's eyes and all that. Not, not like that. Those who were made righteous. Those who God has made righteous. They will go on to the next stage of the kingdom and they will shine like the sun, he says. So Jesus will come back. The weeds will be separated from the wheat and the weeds will receive their penalty and we will receive the mercy and grace that we don't deserve because we deserve to go with the weeds. But Jesus has given us much grace and mercy and has given us a way into the next stage of the kingdom through the gospel and we will shine. Psalm 50 verse 2 says, Out of Zion, the mountain of beauty, God shines forth and we will one day shine with him. We will shine in that future aspect of the kingdom where there will be no weeds. 
There will be no mixed. There will not be a mixed age where there are weeds and wheat together. We will be solely with him as wheat, with him in the glories of their kingdom. There will be no more enemies to deal with. Satan will be fully and finally done away with. All enemies will be rightly under the feet of King Jesus, and we will shine and glorify bodies. What confidence these parables give us. Parables of the mustard seed, of the leaven, of the weeds. Here. What a good king we have to tell us these kinds of stories, these kinds of parables. So the kingdom of heaven, what is it like? It's kind of like that had really small beginnings and it grew a lot. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. That it was small. Eventually it began to grow and it became a strong tree. And the kingdom of heaven will grow and it will expand in unfathomable ways. Kingdom of heaven is like leaven as well, where it has great powers of transformation. Although small, it, it is worked into the flour, it is worked into the bread, and eventually it transforms it, completely changing it. This is the kind of transformative power the king's kingdom has. It has great growth, but it has great transformation as well. And the kingdom of God is like this sower who went into his fields, whose enemies sowed evil seed, where he sowed good seed. And despite Satan's efforts, he cannot thwart God's kingdom. What confidence this gives to us. That the kingdom of heaven will grow. It will transform. What a blessing it is for us as believers. We have been transferred from the domain of darkness, Paul says, into the kingdom of his beloved son. Thank you for listening to this message by Brandon Dyer, pastor of Windsor Christian Fellowship in Windsor, Maine. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge them or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our church online at www.windsorchristianfellowship.org. There, you'll find sermons and other information about our church. If you have a need or would like further information, call 242 242- 0126 or email us at wcfmaine at gmail.com Our mailing address is Windsor Christian Fellowship 11 Reed Road, Windsor, Maine 04363 Windsor Christian Fellowship exists to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ through the evangelization of unbelievers and the edification of believers so that all might be glad in God.